Will Procaccio. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Jimmy Colibus. And Christina Ware. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duffy Wynn. Hi, this is Kevin Van Duffy. You're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 32. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... It's Apple. You got Josh. We actually don't have Apple with us, but Apple will be reviewing some comics later on in the podcast. But today it's just me and Josh, so let's get right into the news. This will be a quick episode, only a couple comics to cover, and a little bit of news. I want information. And I'll get it any way I please. So the very first thing in comic news is on November 9th, Newsarama posted up some Dan DiDio questions. And there was really only one thing worth mentioning. And as always, Josh will read for Newsarama and I will read for Dan DiDio. One of their um, users, the underscore Andrew, wrote in, You have stated in the past that following whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, Andy Kubert had two more projects in the works. One, he is writing himself. Any further information regarding these projects? There will be an announcement very shortly on one of the projects. One of them is Batman-related. The other is DC Universe-related. Is the Batman one in continuity? It could be. In the future. Oh, in the future. One could be in continuity. One is all about continuity. Neither is a monthly? No, neither one is a monthly. So that's all there was, but uh, could we make a judgment and say possibly he's having something to do with possibly Batman Beyond? We'll know in the future. I suppose we will. Alright, so that'll take us into the next thing, which was on November 11th, and I titled this article, Two Batman Once Bruce Comes Back. Comic Resources uh, had a chance to talk with Dan DiDio about all the events happening in the DC Universe. Among things such as Blackest Night, there was a question poised to Dan asking about Dick's future once Bruce comes back from the past. So, there's only one question, there's only one answer, so Josh is going to read the question that was poised, and I will read Dan Dio's response. Speaking of characters who are a bit away from their core conceit, you've got Batman. Someone on staff pointed out to me that there are already multiple Green Lanterns in the DCU, and multiple Flashes, with Dick proving so popular, could we get to the point in the future where even if Bruce came back, there could be two Batman? There were two Batman when we had a couple of worlds going at the same time, and that, honestly, is one of the crooks of the storylines that we'll be playing on in 2010. Everybody has their opinions on it, and they're going to different ways we're attempting to explore and build the franchise. There's a lot of groundwork covering that we haven't explored with Dick Grayson as a character yet that we want to get to. There's a lot of excitement there. We didn't want to get away from that story too quickly. We know there's a lot of fun to be had once Bruce Wayne as well, but I think we really want to enjoy Dick Grayson in that costume as much as possible. The fun thing about Dick Grayson for me is, hey, I got to kill Nightwing without actually doing it. Ha ha ha. No, the fun part about Dick Grayson as Batman is, is that the germ of the idea came from the fans themselves. It came from the concept of the near-miss death of Nightwing. When... There were such a fan outcry about Nightwing possibly dying, the question went back to them immediately. Why? Why did everyone care all of a sudden? Why was everybody excited? What I found was that a lot of people really embraced him as a character because they watched him grow up with them. He was one of the few characters that actually grew up. My fear was that Dick Grayson was going to get older than Bruce Wayne at some point. 
but the reality was that Dick Grayson was aging with fans, and they felt emotionally invested in him as he matured from Robin to Nightwing. That's why they wanted him around. If that was the case, then the most logical step in this maturation process was for him to take on the Batman role. That wasn't done in the late 90s story Prodigal. That was quick in and out. We wanted to really explore this theme and take the time to show Dick and what he was really like as Batman. And Grant Morrison came up with a really wonderful twist which really solidified the whole idea, which was make Damien the new Robin. It flipped the paradigm. He made Robin the grim, gritty little character and Batman the light-hearted character, so Dick Grayson didn't change at all by putting on that costume, which I think is wonderful. And we still got to see the same dynamic we had before in a Batman and Robin team. So that, uh, interestingly enough, is a non-answer. Yeah. Will there be two Batman? You know what's so great, you know, about this new status quo and then goes on and on? It never actually answered the question. I personally don't think that there's going to be two of them, though. I don't think there will be two either. But it will be interesting because I think I said this way back when, when we first found out Dick Grayson was going to be Batman, which was what is going to happen to Dick Grayson once Batman comes back because obviously he's not going to be Batman. There can only be one Batman. And when Bruce Wayne comes back, I could see Bruce Wayne saying, Hey, Dick, thanks for not following what I said. Uh, You're fired. And then Nightwing... And Nightwing go in on some quest to go find himself, and that would be interesting. But I don't see him going back to being Nightwing either, so <laughs> we'll nope, see. have Bruce say, Dick, the real reason why I didn't want you to be Batman was because I didn't want you to have the burden, because I love... Why, Bruce? Because you didn't trust me. No, Dick, because I love you so much, and then they have a whole emotional issue. Well, that's only if Judd Winnick is writing it. I'm sure that they'll relaunch Nightwing with a shiny new number one. Maybe. I just I, I see it as a huge demotion, and I see him maybe having to go on the other side of the United States and be nowhere near Gotham City, because I'm serious. I really think Bruce is going to say you're fired. <laughs> I don't think he's going to fire Dick. And, no. and, the, and the clincher of it all is going to be, he's going to fire Dick, but he's going to keep Damien around. Moving along... Also on uh, November 11th, there was something posted up on the DC Nation panel, which was found in the back of all the comics that week. And it was a picture of some art that was done by Philip Tan for an upcoming issue of Outsiders. Now, interestingly enough, as always, DiDio did not make any comments about the actual image to talk about the characters that were featured. But I think it's worth mentioning because there's some characters in this picture that are not in the Outsiders right now. And I think I'm going to need Josh's expert DC Universe thought, because I don't even know who half some of these people are. Uh, I'm a little confused as well. Truth be told, um, I'm showing my feet of clay here that I'm not not the comic book know-all that I try and make out to be sometimes, but okay. I I know we have Creeper, Owl Man, Black Lightning... It looks like... It seems to me that that big blur in the middle is somebody specifically blurred out... It looks like, um, I'm thinking that that girl on the left is Katana in a new costume. That could be. I'm not sure who those guys are in the top right-hand corner, or who that big head is behind them, the way that it's drawn. I think I heard, maybe that's supposed to be Steel, because I think I, you know, Steel was supposed to show up at one point around this time. I don't know. I just think it's worth mentioning, because there are some new characters that we haven't seen before. Alright, so... Moving on, November 12th, Comic Book Resources continued their discussion with Dan DeVio, and this time they only had really one question, which was them asking how long will he be writing Outsiders. 
And he specifically said, I have a breakdown for the first 12 issues and manual. You've got to remember, I go back to the old school days where you do an underlying story that plays out over a year and then comes to a big head, oversized annual where you've got a chance to wrap it all up. There's something I've always wanted to achieve. I feel there's enough twists and turns along the way that it will hold everyone's attention, but the proof is in the pudding. I love that picture of him that's accompanying the article where he's trying to look all serious. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it looks like just so obviously staged, like the whole like, okay, I want you to look really deep now. Yeah. Which, because none of you guys uh, responded to our, you know, AAC, enhanced AAC feed, you, you can't see it. But, yeah. but you know what? It gives you a reason to go to the website. Very true. Now, interestingly enough, you know, I've got to say that I, I think I made this comment at some point. I just don't remember when I made it. But I know when I wrote one of the articles on the site, I specifically made a mention about it seems to me that The Outsiders is going to go from being a Batman book to going over to a Superman book somehow during DiDio's run. Because I think Dio's just going to screw it up somehow. Alfred's barely... I mean, even though they haven't done the switch over yet, Alfred's barely in it anymore. And I loved his role during the first arc. I mean, you go from him, you know, having hand-to-hand combat with Deathstroke to... I mean, just appearing as the voice over the intercom. Yeah, telling the outsiders, hey, I shut down the Batcave, go capture the villains of Gotham City. Barbara lives here now, go away. Alright, so moving along, on November 14th, which was a Saturday, Newsarama's Word Balloon interviewed Brian Azzarello about the Batman Doc Savage special. There were various things talked about in regards to Batman's appearance in the first wave, but the interesting point was made about Batman's Rogue Gallery. And he specifically said there will be some Batman villains in the story, but as Brian says, not in the way you'd recognize them. They won't be too obvious who are wearing the white and black hats in the story. So I'm still trying to debate whether or not we as the Batman universe are going to be covering the first wave. If you guys want us to, we will need a lot of feedback from you. So in other words, I'm not covering this unless I get at least, let's play a DC thing and say, I want 50 emails saying that you want us to cover first wave. If I don't get 50 emails, then unfortunately we won't be covering. But um, I'm all for reimaginings of Batman's Rogues Gallery. I mean, in in alternate reality books, you know. I don't want to have the Riddler show up with a mohawk as a punk rocker, you know, in the next issue of Gotham City Sirens, then not have the other books acknowledge it. But in stuff like this, these one-off other Elseworld tales, it's it's cool to see the reimaginings. True. But then again, you know Azarello is very good at reimagining characters. As we know... Riddler was kind of like a pimp-slash-drug dealer in the Joker graphic novel. Oh, everyone was reimagined in that. We had Harley Quinn as the stripper, and... Yeah. All right, so that's all the comic news we have. Let's go over our tree paperback releases for the next two weeks. On December 2nd, we have Batman the Cat and the Bat. Solicitation reads, two of Gotham City's top females cross paths in this wild adventure collecting Batman Confidential number 17 through 21. When they cross paths over Commissioner Gordon's stolen notebook, it's an all-out chase that takes both to some very unexpected corners of the city. And this is 128 pages and it's $12.99. And as many people may have known, this is the first appearance of Batman or Batgirl meeting Catwoman. I'm very excited to finally be able to see this story, and yeah, this is, um, and as those now who listen to the podcast, this is one of my gripes about DC and their current DC continuity. 
Yes. I think you guys liked the story when it first came out, though. All right. The other thing, we've, we've got two trade paperbacks coming out on December 9th. The first one is Batman Arkham Asylum Special. It says, previously offered in DC Direct's Arkham Asylum box set, this special spotlights the Joker, the Penguin, and Killer Croc in stories from Showcase 95, number 11, Batman Chronicles, number 3, Batman 586, and Robin 85. This is 64 pages and will be five ninety nine. Cool. Yeah, they're really pulling from different eras there, and you got some 90s showcase rarely reprinted stuff, so i check it out. Definitely. All right, and then the last thing we have, also on December 9th, Batman the Cult New Printing. A new printing of the classic Batman tale collecting the four-issue miniseries from 1989. Deacon Blackfire, a charismatic shaman with roots as old as Gotham City itself, has amassed the city's homeless into an army, one he seemingly uses to fight crime. But Blackfire has a hidden agenda. So we 208 pages and around 19.99. I think at some point we might actually review that miniseries when we have some week that doesn't have a lot of comics because that was an interesting story. That would be a good one, maybe for a special episode. All right, so let's get into our comic reviews. It's all part of the plan. Like I said, we've got six reviews to bring you from me and Josh, and then a special Apple's- correspondent. Yeah, our special correspondent at another location will come to us live on location and let us know the other four comics, the ones that have very little ties to current continuity. So let's get into our reviews, and I'm going to start off with Batman and Robin number four. Now, from the get-go, what I find super interesting, and I've got to say this because it's just it's remotely amusing to myself, the cover of Batman Robin number 6 features the flamingo on the cover, and this flamingo, for whatever reason, is a completely different take than what you see in the book. I can't imagine why that would be other than, you know, there's different artists, but the one inside of the book doesn't look nearly as good as the one on the cover. Anyway, we start off with Batman and Robin, who are down to their underwear for some reason. I'm not sure why, but they're down to their underwear, and Red Hood and Scarlet are telling the world that if they get one million calls, they will activate a webcam that will show Batman and Robin's true identities. Oh, how this is ironic, as Jason Todd was killed by people calling in. Using how that works. Then we see a page with the flamingo, who looks nothing like the front cover. Honestly, it looks like someone squeezed his waist a little too hard and all of everything went up to his shoulders. Then we move on and we see that the Red Hood was shot and Flamingo standing above about to kill him and Scarlet tries to stop him and he starts ripping Scarlet's face off. He cuts her and that's when Red Hood sits up, find out he's not actually dead, and he shoots Flamingo in the shoulder. If he had a clear shot, I'm not sure why he just didn't shoot him in the face. Well, then we go back to Batman and Robin, who untied the knots, get dressed, and are about to leave. Robin insists on grabbing some guns. Robin feels uh, kind of responsible for Scarlet and the fact that she is who she is. Batman calls Alfred. Alfred tells him the locations. And then we cut back to Red Hood and Flamingo fighting back and forth, fighting back and forth. And then Batman and Robin show up just in time, right as Flamingo is about to shoot Red Hood in the face, which is funny because Jason Todd makes a comment, so shoot me, do it, I'll come back. And that's kind of true, because whenever he dies, he somehow always comes back. He's never going to go away. Yeah, he probably never will. And we'll probably be saying that in 20 years about Damien. 
So what ends up happening is Batman is fighting Flamingo for a good amount of pages. At some point, Flamingo shoots Robin in the back. Now, despite having uh, you know a bulletproof or Kevlar cape or whatever, I guess he traded in his cape for a piece of junk. He's now shot in the back and laying there. Scarlet attacks Flamingo, and as that's happening, Flamingo is pushed off the cliff by a bulldozer that Red Hood's driving. He drops him off the cliff with the bulldozer, and he has no idea what's going on. Batman goes over to Robin and finds out that he's been shot and he can't move. And Jason Todd says, you know, I'm the best Batman, you don't have the stones to do it, blah blah blah. Commissioner Gordon shows up, tells Jason Todd he's going to jail because he's a murderer. And then Commissioner Gordon has a little discussion with Batman, which is completely irrelevant. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere... Talia shows up with her medical team and flies Robin off. And that's pretty much the end of the issue. We see at the very end, Scarlet, she rips her face off and she leaves Gotham. And then there's this little part at the very end, which, again, we'll probably see this in the next issue, but that Oberyn Sexton guy um, is given a call by somebody called El Penente. And he says... Your sins have found you, Gravedigger. Uh, your secrets are no secrets to me. And he tells him, here's what you're going to do. And then as the end of the issue happens, we see Dick Grayson walking down without the mask on, walks to a button, says, Sealed Vault, speak the word password carefully. And he says, Zer N R. And as it opens up, there is either someone or something dressed as Batman in some kind of vault. It says, next in Batman Robin, Blackest Night. It shows Squire, Batwoman, and somebody's hand in a pool of blood. And that is Batman and Robin, number six. And now on to Batgirl number four. Uh, the cover is Stephanie Brown in the cover that was previously blacked out because it was her new costume, where you can clearly see her blonde hair, fighting some people who look like the mutant gang from The Dark Knight Returns which is in not any way directly related to the contents of the issue. But one of the guys says, what is your scene, baby? We just gotta know. Which, uh, for those of you who know some obscure trivia, that was the lyrics to the Batgirl theme that would play in the 1960s Batman TV show. So, the more you know. Alright, Stephanie Brown is in her bedroom, and she's studying for uh, her class. And, of course, there's the joke about how her computer teacher is, you know, a real stickler. Barbara's computer teacher for those of you who have missed the past few issues her mom's trying to tell her oh no 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 you need to get some sleep and she's like i'll get some sleep when i'm dead later on in the back cave oracle's helping her set up some stuff in her new costume uplinking all of her stats and everything else and stephanie's like hey you think that uh there's an ipod jack in here and then barbara doesn't look to him she's like you're just gonna have to home so stephanie is out patrolling gotham she stops some cat burglars but winds up uh crash landing into a gotham city tour bus which is doing some sort of batman type tour and uh one of the her young fans comes up to her and whispers to her keep up the good work which is some encouragement that she can use but then the whole city blacks out now over in the back cave babs gets a call from the tompkins clinic and she says to steph on the comm link can you handle yourself for two hours and i love this line stephanie says oh yeah i'm 50 percent sure that nothing can go wrong obviously because the blackout and it's gotham city and the police are also having some trouble roughing in the blackout, particularly our new friend in this book, Detective Nick. He's having to do the non-computer ways of filing the police reports when Jim Gordon gets him and says that they have a call that they have to go to. So over in the Tompkins Clinic, Leslie and Barbara are talking because Wendy, who's uh, 
an old Teen Titans character who's been in this title a little bit since the Oracle miniseries. She's also gotten crippled. She broke into the Tompkins Clinic to try and do some physical therapy by herself because she's really, really pushing herself and she's not getting any help. She's refusing any help. She just wants to walk again. And Barbara's like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if it's a good idea. Leslie's like, hey, you refused to get help when this happened to you. And if your friends hadn't helped you, where would you be? So Stephanie catches a purse snatcher, and she sees the purse, and she realizes that it belongs to her mom, who's filing a report with the cops. She doesn't want her mom to see her in the back girl outfit, so she just kind of throws the purse to her mom while her mom's already talking to the cops. This way she avoids being seen. Now, Detective Nick and Jim Gordon are at this sports field where there's a dead body on the ground all burnt. And I like this, because you get to see some Nick doing some detective work. He figures out that the reason why the grass isn't effective is this guy fell from one of the lights, and that's how it happened. And they're starting to figure out how he died and putting the pieces together. Stephanie is in the dark watching some looters who are both stealing TVs crash into each other. And she's like, well, now they could be friends in jail. And she sees in a big electrical ball in the distance and goes to investigate. Barbara is trying to get through the Wendy, and Wendy keeps on shutting her out. And she's like, hey, you should go to the Titans for help. You know, you have to reach out to your friends. And she's like, no, I can't go back to the Titans. What kind of superhero just sits in a wheelchair? And Barbara's internal monologue is like, okay, I'm going to forgive her for that because she's angry. She breaks down eventually because she misses Marvin. And, you know, she lets Babs comfort her. Marvin was her brother who got eaten by the demonic wonder dog. So it turns out Livewire is behind the blackout and the cops are having some trouble. Batgirl swings in the help and sees Detective Nick and is like, hey, you which makes Commissioner Gordon give the Detective Nick a look, and he's like, what, what? No one ever talks about you and Batman being friends. And he's like, I'm pretty sure Batman's of legal age, Detective. So, like the banter this issue. So Livewire starts attacking Stephanie, but discovers that her suit is insulated, and Stephanie apparently didn't notice either. Oh, I guess every night's an adventure. So Livewire's like, you're going to punch me now. Uh, we cut to Stephanie telling the rest of the story to Barbara, and then she says, that won't be much of a shock. And Barbara's like, did you actually say that? So they're talking about their night while watching the sunrise. And Babs is teasing her, what, did you do your homework? And she's like, do you want to ride home? She's like, let's just enjoy the quiet for now. And the issue ends with Stephanie Brown's mom coming up to Stephanie's room to wake her up for college because she's not like an 18-year-old college freshman or anything who doesn't need her mom to wake her up anymore. And she's still sleeping, so Stephanie's mom decides that she needs the rest and to give her five more minutes. And that's the end of this issue of Batgirl. All right, so that's going to take us into Batman. Now, starting off with the cover, there's a bunch of characters featured on the front of the cover that are not in the book at all. But nonetheless, it's an interesting cover, and it could make an interesting poster sometime in the future. So we start off with Batman and Robin taking out a bunch of false faces in Devil's Square. And they find out that they are trying to transport thousands of prescriptions worth of hospital drugs. Then we cut to Wayne Tower, where Alfred is waking Dick Grayson up pretty late in the afternoon. Alfred tells him he needs to get ready to go to um, socialize with Hobnob with Gotham Socialites, as Alfred puts it, at the Arkham Research Benefit. And he says that really it's going. he's going there to keep an eye on Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Tommy Elliot. And Alfred says, don't worry, I've took it upon myself to get someone to help you keep an eye on Tom Elliot. So we cut to Devil's Square, 100 feet below sea level, and Black Mask is getting ready to go this 
Arkham benefit as well for whatever reason. And he's telling Fright that you know that Fright is right hand woman. So then he gets into his car. He walks off and. The whole point was I thought we were going to find out exactly who Black Mask was. So he gets into a limousine, they pull up to the Arkham thing, and he's saying hello to the mayor, he's saying hello to the commissioners, uh, District Attorney Spencer, and he's seeing a bunch, he's saying hello, so obviously he's someone that everyone knows. We see Dick standing above on the balcony, just kind of watching and seeing what's going on with Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Tommy Elliot. And then we find out that the Huntress... Lena Bertinelli walks up and is wearing a very, very revealing sh- dress. And they start walking around and they're keeping an eye on Tommy Elliot when all of a sudden the Riddler walks up to Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Tommy Elliot, and tells him, starts talking to him, and they say, well, what's Riddler talking about? And Huntress says, babies. Then they f- see that the Falcones are at the benefit as well and... She says, so, they actually are back. Dick says he's going to go follow Bruce Wayne, and just as that happens, we get this weird thing where Dick feels a hand on the back, and Helena grabs him and says, kiss me, dang it. And it's a very interesting little portion, because when we get to streets, it seems like everybody wants Dick Grayson now, because he's Batman. But they listen, and you find out that, well, Tommy Elliott donated a bunch of money, but uh, he wants to make sure that his money's being invested properly. And Jeremiah Arkham says, that's the problem, it's not an investment, it's a donation, and walks off. So, Helena goes, you know, I'm going to go back inside and make sure there's lowlifes we're keeping an eye on. So we find out that Oracle actually has a direct line with Huntress and Dick, and knows that they kissed. And she tells Huntress, there's a girl who just walked out, you need to follow her before she loses you. And Helena starts walking away and she's like, crap, 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 because obviously now she knows that Oracle knows that Helena just kissed Dick. And Helena also knows the history that Dick and Barbara have. So then we get this girl who we also saw in the last issue. Her name is Katrina. She's Someone's talking to her over uh, radio and she takes out two guards very easily. And then that's where I really get lost. The Riddler pops out of nowhere. Has this really stupid grin on his face the entire time. And somehow the Riddler distracts Huntress enough where this Katrina somehow escapes and says, Heads up, kids, bombs about to, and then there's a giant boom that goes off. Then we cut to a scene that says, Ten minutes later, and then it's the Riddler talking. He again has this really stupid grin on his face that doesn't seem right. And he says, I'm back, heh 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 heh, and I, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know if I'm just not following it correctly or what, but I'm not really sure what's going on there. Oracle and Huntress are talking back and forth about they have to find this girl. Dix talks to Barbara and says, I'm going to get online. I'm going to go f- try to figure out where this girl's at. Meanwhile, he goes down to Gotham Harbor dressed as Batman, meets with Commissioner Gordon, and finds out there's a bunch of Falcone people that are now dead. They got sliced up by somebody. And I'm going to make an assumption and say it was probably the Reaper. The Reaper from World War II with the scythe. And then we cut to Alfred uploading a picture of this girl, Katrina, to Batman, and Batman going down to Devil's Square, taking out some more false faces, and finding a bunch of homeless kids and saying... 
Has anybody seen this girl around? And everyone's saying, no, we're not talking to you because we'll end up getting shot. There's one guy who says, you know, nobody's scaring me, I'll tell you. And he starts telling her something, and then all of a sudden he gets shot in the head and he's dead. And Batman, and the issue ends with Batman holding the child and saying, no, that is Batman 693. All right, and that's going to take us into the next issue of Red Robin. Now, we stopped getting these flashbacks about someone telling him that he's crazy and him saying, you're wrong. But we're still getting, you know, time skips here and there, which Chris Joe said that those should be ending soon, and I really hope that they do, because it makes it hard to do these recaps, especially when it's like, that assassin met another assassin, they tried to kill her, but they had sex. We see the rest of the scene halfway through the book, so like I'm literally describing like 10 seconds of the scene. So I'm going to do the recap in the order in how it actually plays out chronologically and not how it was presented, because otherwise I'm just going to be doing bits of scenes and it's going to drive me crazy. But we get little bits of that one female assassin that can poison people, and the League of Assassins notices her and sends some people after her. And like I said in my little aside thing, she makes quick work of them, but she has her fun with them first. So Tim is accessing Roz's resources to try and figure out what's going on with the Spider Council that's uh, targeting the League. The Expediter does not trust him at all, and he's like, oh, Roz is a fool for giving him the accesses, and the White Ghost is like, Roz's word is Roz's word, you know, we're going to listen to him. So Tim requests to speak to the White Ghost alone, and uh, when he does, he says, all right, the Expediter's got to be the traitor, because he's the only one that can be getting the word out to the Spider Council where these hits are going down. And the White Ghost says that's impossible, because Roz has men on the Expediter's family all the time, ready to kill them if he's not loyal to him. And Tim's like, that's insane, you guys are killers, this and that. And he's like, hey, look, this isn't one of your Gotham adventures with your sidekicks. This is how we do things. We're the League of Assassins. Tim develops a plan to try and smoke out uh, the spiders and find out what's going on. Tim actually orders three different hits for the League of Assassins. Well, obviously Tim's not a killer. He does not plan on these hits actually going down. He's going to do is, whenever the League member is about to make this hit, and one of the spider council finds the man and who's working for the League and tries to kill him, a bunch of the League of Assassin ninjas will you know, come out and capture the Spider Council person. Tim is with one of the teams when they do this little sting operation. It doesn't really go too well at first, though, because the guy, he's fighting, and he actually kills one of the ninjas, and Tim feels guilty because he realizes that that's on him now because he's the one that set this whole thing up. During the fight, Tim does remember um, fighting his reanimated parents during Placus Night Batman, so we get some acknowledgement about that, and when that took place in continuity, I guess... And he thinks about the thing that he saw uh, in the cave about Bruce still being alive and how he didn't tell Dick about it. So we are getting some follow-up to that, too. But not much. I mean, he's kind of been distracted. They finally captured this guy for the Spider Council, and the White Ghost says, well, I guess you were right about him being the traitor because, you know, uh, we were trapped on all ends and all of our men have been killed. And Tim realizes that they're going to be at the bunker next, which is where uh, Tammy is, Lucius Fox's daughter, and that she's in trouble. And sure enough, we see her. She sees the Expediter's dead body, who's uh, been killed in the same way that those men have been killed in the flashback from that girl who can poison people with all the dead spiders and stuff. So she's surrounded on all ends, and she's in trouble. We do get a little, uh, in the middle of the issue, we see Gotham and Vicki Vale, who we haven't seen since the Gotham Gazette issues. She's trying to find Bruce Wayne, um, thinking to tell him that she knows that he's Batman based on what she discovered in that one shot. 
but runs into Tommy Elliot, who makes a date with her. So these and more plot lines will be followed up in the next issue of Red Robin. So moving on to Batman Streets of Gotham number six. There's actually this. This will be a real quick review because essentially the review or the issue starts off with we're back at ten hours ago on the Gotham Piers. Black Mask is talking to some guy who's been working for the government, creating some kind of prototype. And once he shows Black Mask the prototype, he gets shot in the head. And we cut to now, which is Robin going across Gotham City, and Batman saying, and him telling Batman, you know, I should have been on Mad Bat in the first, Man Bat in the first place because I have better experience with that than Huntress does. Batman says, no, Huntress and Man-Bat teared across the city and then they both disappeared. We need to find out where they're at. Then we cut to a black page where Huntress is obviously thinking as she's coming to and she sees some guy with a shotgun and all she's talking about how she is going to kill Man-Bat once she has the chance. She can't see Man-Bat, so she thinks he's gone. Then all of a sudden she sees Man-Bat tied up to the Jesus that's in the middle of the church that they crashed during the last issue. Then we find out, back and forth, the priest is telling Huntress he has to kill her and Man-Bat because God's telling him to. Then we find out, or we see that she's slowly undoing her ropes, and she says, God can't be talking to you, and then so he says, Lord, tell me what you want, and then all of a sudden we hear the voice. Don't listen to the Huntress lies, my Child, kill her, kill the beast. Then we see Huntress say, well, maybe he's not crazy. I guess he actually is hearing a voice since I can hear it too. Then all of a sudden, Man-Bat wakes up and he looks towards Huntress. She's trying to convince him that he needs to pull it together. She is trying to use Oracle's advice, thinking that Langstrom is still inside of the Man-Bat. Anyway, we see him, Man-Bat's vision, look out towards the guy with the shotgun and we see that there's something else there, and it's talking. Hunters can't see it, but Man-Bat can. Then we go back in time to nine hours ago. Now, what's interesting enough is this issue was written by Chris Yost, and once again, we're jumping through time. I'm seeing uh, a repetitive motion here. Anyway, we see Black Mask uh, talking to, I'm assuming, just one of his henchmen who's putting this prototype on, and what this prototype does is you push a button, and you go invisible. Black Mask says he has to go kill the sinners that they talked about. It has to be God who orders the killings. Then we go back to Manbat and Huntress in the church, and Huntress is thinking Manbat's about three seconds away from breaking the rose ropes and killing the priest. Then all of a sudden she realizes the voice is actually a person. Somebody else is there and Manbat can see it. Then we go back to six hours ago. And they're at the bus depot, and Langstrom just got off a bus, calls Francine, telling him, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, I'm really tired, I've gotten more control, I've been staying Man-Bat longer and longer, sometimes when I stay in that form too long, I start to feel the animal taking over. But the idea is that he's gotten control and he knows what he's doing. Then all of a sudden, people start getting murdered, sliced across the throat, but there's nobody there actually killing anybody. So he turns into Man-Bat and sees the guy, invisible, killing people with this knife. So Man-Bat sees that it's the same guy, and that's when we all of a sudden realize that the reason why Man-Bat was tearing through the city in the last issue was because he was actually going off after this invisible person. So the priest is saying, let me hear your voice again. Huntress is trying to get the priest to stop, telling him, listen, I'm trying to save your life, when all of a sudden... 
And Bat breaks out of the ropes. Huntress grabs him in time so he doesn't kill the priest because she still doesn't know what exactly is going on. The priest, she tells the priest to run. The priest says he's not going to run. He's not going to abandon the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he aims the gun right at Huntress and Manbat. Manbat sees that there's another guy is right behind the priest with two pistols and starts shooting and throws Huntress out of the way. That's when Huntress realizes that Manbat is on her side. When Batman bursts through the window, grabs Manbat, puts his dose of the antidote to make him human again back into his neck, and Huntress shouts over, forget about Manbat, we've got another shooter and he's invisible. He starts scanning and can't see him, when all of a sudden there's the invisible guy starts shooting off a bunch of bullets towards Batman and Huntress. They move, and you see... Manbat turning back into Kirk Langstrom, and he's saying he can't see anything. Then all of a sudden, Huntress says, I almost forgot to tell you about the priest, and then at that point, the priest says to this invisible voice, what do you want me to do with him? Do you want him dead too? When the voice says, do it, kill them all, and that's when the priest suddenly turns around, elbows this guy in the face, and takes the butt of the gun and shoves it in him, and Batman's like, uh, what just happened? And Huntress says, I have no idea. Then, all of a sudden, you see Kirk Landstrom, Huntress, and Batman standing there, and the Huntress says, what's going on, Father? And he says, well, I'm pretty sure one of you need to call uh, the police. This idiot showed up about two minutes before you and the giant rat. And then, all of a sudden, there's a real nice little part there, and says, Father, I thought... And the the priest replies, You think I haven't seen this kind of thing before? I couldn't get a bead on him because of the sound in here. I kept I tried to keep him talking. And Hunter says, You risked your life for that with that little gambit, quite a leap of faith. And his response is, This is Gotham, sweetheart. Having faith isn't enough. In Gotham you have to fight to keep it. And I love that. So we go into the co-feature, which is essentially this is gonna go real quick because it's kinda short, but uh, we see Kate Spencer at the office, her intern comes in and they exchange a little bit of words about how he should be studying and not spending his Friday nights with her at the office. She leaves the office and she sees that her security detail is still there and she says, she makes a comment uh, that it means Gotham doesn't want to lose two district attorneys in one calendar year. So she tries losing them in Chinatown. Then all of a sudden we cut to a part where Dylan, the character we saw in the last issue, talking to the bartender, is holding a meeting saying that all these people are going to work for somebody. Nobody knows who they're working for when Two-Face shows up and says, you're working for me, and he gives them these suits to wear. Then we cut back to Kate Spencer at the swimming pool, and she thought she lost her security detail, but she sure didn't. And she somehow bumps into Mr. Grayson. They exchange some words, and looks like they're going on a date. So this brings me to my thing. It seems like not only is Kate Spencer now wanting to go out with Dick Grayson, we've got Helena kissing him in Batman, and then we've got Catwoman in, I think it was Streets of Gotham, Gotham last issue, where Selena Kyle was out swimming with him and getting all cuddly-cuddly with him. It's kind of weird. Very strange. Well, here's the thing so. about Dick Grayson, too. Both Helena and uh, Kate Spencer were members of the Birds of Prey. So anyway, she tries losing her security detail. She does successfully and then goes out on patrol as Manhunter. She finds there's a burglary taking place at the 
Museum of Natural History. She goes down and she sees a bunch of people in some kind of crazy armor, the same armor that Two-Face was holding at the meeting earlier. Dylan says, put these masks on. Here we go. Manhunter bursts through the roof. Skylight starts fighting them all when someone's about to shoot her. This somebody stops the guy from shooting her in the back of the head. She grabs her power staff and shoots this guy and then says, oh my god, oh my god, geez, my leg, are you freaking out of your mind? I was trying to save your life. And that co-feature ends with Dylan? And then the cops are there. We don't know why she knows Dylan. So it is to be continued. Now, Outsiders, in our Blackest Night crossover. Now, when we last left things, uh, the reanimated corpse of terror had broken into uh, one of the Outsiders' mobile headquarters that they were using now that they've basically been kicked out of the Batcave because Barbara's using it. She's funny because the Outsiders aren't allowed to use it, but... Barbara is. That's some favoritism there. I digress. Now, we open up uh, Terrace Corpse before it returns to dead because of the Blackest Night Ring is having a this is your life moment where she's remembering her life. Oddly enough, when she's remembering the moment that she died in Judas Contract, they have Geoforce there crying over her dead body, which uh, Geoforce was not there when she died. In fact, uh, he didn't know about her betrayal until much later. They had lied to him for a little while. But I digress again. So... We cut to now when Tara had broken into the headquarters, and they're like, Tara, what are you doing here? And everybody is suspicious of her except for Geoforce. She's like, oh, I don't want to be a part of this. I can't get this ring off of me. Watch. So they try and cut her finger off, and the ring, like, magically goes back and reanimates uh, that part of her hand and grows the finger back. And then she explains that uh, that's how she survived the end of the Blackest Night Titans miniseries when Garfield, uh, Logan, a.k.a. the Changeling, turned into a bear and basically ripped her in half. She's like, this is happening everywhere, not just Gotham. And then we get Alfred's appearance of the issue, which is basically his voice on the computer telling them, yeah, Blackest Night is happening. So she's like, I want you guys to be the ones to bury me. Now, the reader's given the impression that Terra might just be luring them into a false sense of security, but Geoforce wants to believe her. Now, meanwhile, we got Halo, Katana, and Creeper, who are returning from their Killer Croc slash Man Bad adventure in Louisiana. They're still in the truck, and the girls are having some girl talk in the front seat, and it's funny, because Halo's powers are light, and they're talking about how a bunch of bugs keep on flying into her like a bug zapper while she's flying, and they do some gossip, and uh, Katana starts to tell her about a kiss that she shared with another teammate of the Outsiders, which some of you may remember from when the team was first reformed by Alfred earlier this year. But all of a sudden, in the middle of the road, they see three Black Lanterns and crash. And this crash sends Killer Croc flying, and, you know, the whole truck explodes. These Black Lanterns are actually Katana's husband and two kids who had died in a fire, And she's getting caught up in the reunion, because as we know, the Black Lanterns apparently manipulate your emotions and perceptions a little bit. But Halo goes after them. She's like, no, this isn't real, and so does Creeper. But they make quick work of them, and Creeper goes to make sure that Killer Croc didn't get too far. Halo pretends to fall for her husband's spiel, but then realizes, you know what, you're just a nightmare, and proceeds to sword fight with him. And that's the last page of the issue, but before we get to that, Killer uh, Killer Croc is found by Creeper, and it sounds like Creeper's going to enlist him for help in fighting these zombies. So that's the end of this issue of Blackest Night's Outsiders. Alright, and now we are going to throw it over to our special correspondent on location, 
Apple is going to tell us about four comics. Let's hear it from Apple. Okay, guys, and that's going to take us into Batman Confidential, issue 37, where we last left Batman was uh, the conversation with uh, the Blackhawks. So uh, within this issue, you also see that uh, Zena Blake, the Lady Blackhawk, returns, of course, from uh, the Zero Hour storyline, if you guys remember. Uh, she comes back to go ahead and visit uh, Jonas's grave. And what they find is that it's been empty. And, of course, Batman tells her that uh, it's kind of been empty for a while. <laughs> so uh, she goes by. She goes, you know, I come by to pay my respects. And so uh, they then take off, of course, flying through there. Uh, Batman then fills her in on the situation of what happened when uh, Gaynor had came to the, the Black Hawk headquarters, where the airbase where they were at in the last issue, and what had happened. And so uh, what she then finds out is that they're really attacking Black Hawk Island. And so while they go out there, Batman says, you know, fly around on the outside, and I'll go ahead and get down in there and uh, try to investigate. And she goes, you just want me to sit here and take orders? And he goes, "Uh, God, he's even worse than the Huntress. And so uh, as you see that, you then see... um, how Black Hawk Island is just being taken over. Ted Gaynor, uh, the, his whole crew is just right there. And, of course, Batman is sneaking through Black Hawk Island, goes through there, even goes through the, like, technology room and sees where they do the the new the new airships. And uh, Batman goes through, like, with these. And he goes through the chair and he goes through the control room. And he says, Gaynor. And as he turns the seat around, uh, Jonas uh, Peransky, the guy who is supposed to be buried of course the original black hawk in the the grave however he smells the old corpse and he sees a dog tag and he says oh you know this must you know this is janice and then of course uh gainer comes on the screen he goes you're so you're so easily fooled by an appearance and so he then starts explaining his plan he goes well who was buried in black hawk's tomb he goes nobody except me that is and of course he's the one that knows kind of like the conspiracy behind what's going on with uh, Blackhawk and so of course Lady Blackhawk she can't stay in the plane like Batman had instructed her so she goes around and she goes looking around and of course goes by like a port side underneath uh, Blackhawk Island and she of course someone's behind her and turns around and she goes Batman is that you and of course it's not and he, she's like freeze and of course, who is it then? Behold, it's the killer shark. And she's like, let me go. And it kind of almost looks like a uh, playoff of Venom almost looks like. <laughs> so uh, hopefully they kind of st- try to still clear that, but <laughs> they made one eye bigger than the other. And so uh, Batman, of course, still conver- carrying his conversation with uh, Gaynor, uh, then looks up and of course sees uh, what Gaynor's plan is. And he sees all these fleet of Blackhawk airplanes just, like, rolling out. And, of course, it's, like, the top technology that the military had had. He goes that he would go ahead and destroy a city, you know, like minus city in Europe, like Poland. And he goes, you wouldn't dare. He goes, no, I wouldn't dare, Batman. He goes, I have much bigger plans. And, of course, Batman then leads him in and says, you know, I'll hunt you down. And, of course, it then pans out to a panel where Lady Blackhawk, is in his graphs and 
he has her really tied up. And so uh, Batman's trying to escape. And then you see this, like, man, it looks like a cloud of red fog, looks like. And it just looks like really altered beasts of men that have just been altered. And, of course, Batman's fighting them, trying to get out. Some look like even apes, like. And so uh, Batman fights his way, tries to get out, and then makes his way out. And, of course, he goes back to uh, the Chang Estate from upstate New York. We all knew who we met um, in the in this last storyline. I mean, in the last issue. And he's going there, and he wants answers. And, of course, you remember that uh, Chang was talking to another gentleman, and that gentleman said, no, he goes, Batman already has it figured out. It's just a matter of time. And then Batman then goes through, goes fine. He goes through a bookshelf. He even touches uh, like a like a falcon type, like a black hawk maybe, and touches it, and it leads to like a secret door passageway behind the library. And then he goes down there, and then um, gentleman at the looks like at a control panel, and Batman goes black hawk. Then you know you're not supposed to keep an old man waiting, and it's leading us to believe that this is Jonas, what it looks like, and it leads us off right there. And it says to be continued. So that's the end for Batman Confidential issue 37. And the next issue that we're going to go into is number four, Batman Unseen. And of course, uh, with Doug Monick and Kelly Jones. Then pick off, of course, with uh, Batman trying to find out what Nigel Glass is up to. Commissioner Gordon then shows him uh, another henchman that worked for Black Mask. Of course, they don't know. But he's holding the henchman was left in the river. And this is Homolka, who, of course, we've read through the series. Homolka's holding uh, like an invisible mask on his chest as he was floating in the river. And so, um, you know, they're saying that he's giving us a clue. And, of course, Batman's like, you know, thinking of Nigel Glass. Then goes out, of course, tries to investigate. And what pretty much happens is that he goes through, finds mask. He finds black mask really just beaten, almost really left with just a faint pulse. And um, Nigel Glass then really sets up Batman as it being in a trap. They just fight through a couple of pages. And honestly, it's just left with uh, with Black Mask almost being flatlined. Dr. Nigel Glass and Batman on a rooftop while Nigel Glass is then losing his form and visibility. He's starting to change back into a man. Batman then loses him through the through the river. And that's really pretty much it for issue four of Batman Unseen. So it's a pretty fast issue. Speaking of fast issue, <laughs> Superman Batman issue 66. Uh, I was really excited for this because it had a Black as Night title, so it was going to be a Black as Night tie in. And this issue pretty much is uh, a story with uh, Solomon Grundy, Mambat, Bizarro. And so you have these characters, and of course Solomon Grundy of Earth rises and it shows his ring, which it already kind of happened already in a Solomon Grundy issue, uh, so I don't know why they did this here, but it was supposed to be called Night of the Cure Part 1, and so uh, you just go through, and of course you have Langstrom's wife trying to find a cure for a man-bat, Bizarro really just being confused, really, even within the storyline looks confusing, and so they're really just terrorizing the people of Gotham where there's no heroes right now in Gotham. Black Lantern Grundy comes in and he goes, Solomon Grundy kills all monsters. So he grabs Bizarro and Manbat and they're just going through like a fight sequence. And Bizarro is just really weird in this 
fight sequence. <laughs> and Solomon Grundy's looking like he's just kicking butt. And, of course, where it's going to need to be continued. But Solomon Grundy has his hand within uh, Bizarro. And, of course, if you've read any of the Blackest Night issues that have been going around, once that happens, once they grab inside of you, it kind of kills you. So that's what kind of turns you into a Black Lantern. And shows Mrs. Mrs. Dr. Langstrom find a cure for Mabat, but that's where it needs to be continued. And that was pretty much the whole issue for Superman Batman issue 66. Now we go into Azrael issue 2. And where we left off kind of left us where Michael Lane was almost looked like he was crucified on a cross and all the Azrael's uh, getup was there. So then we go back into this issue, and it goes into a, uh, it says 20 years ago in Gotham City. And it says, uh, Marion, wait up, and he says, Mikey, I told you to stay home. And, of course, it's telling us that this is Michael Lane, and it shows, like, some a group of kids going into Thor, and the kids driving up in a car. The cars get out, and all you hear is boom, and it's, like, in front of a hotel. Almost looks like, uh, like, a, like a terrorist bombing, almost but within Gotham City. And then we hunt to we we see Huntress flying out of a window and of course saying that uh th- this is that she's fighting ghosts, but this is a different kind of ghost. Goes right through the alley and of course he pulls a magic trick. Uh Oracle is trying to find him. She sees through the monitors uh who really what this guy is and then we see uh, a helmet. Uh the helmet uh he then says that the blood the the dry blood that residues in this helmet is still there, and of course, um, it's it's a remnant of an original sin. And then you see the ghost mask on the floor, and the guy don't really see a clear view of his face, but he has like blood on it. And he's saying, uh, he goes, "We shall see, uh, my white ghost." And so you know that this character is now called uh, the White Ghost. And so you see two people tied behind. You see him in his outfit. His outfit spread out, a la how Michael Lane has done with the Azrael outfit almost. And um, and he goes, he goes, it will see his choices, or uh, he will die as a result. So you kind of see that this is starting to become a test within this religious arc of, it, of what Azrael has become in this storyline. So it's always going to have some kind of form of religion in it. And so we then see that uh, they show that missing helmet from the suit of sorrows. And, of course, Michael Lane is like, how come you didn't know about this? And uh, Adrian is just like, I don't know every damn thing that's going on with this thing. And so um, uh, he gives him the book. And as he's looking through the book, Michael Lane, which it doesn't explain why what happened at the end of issue one. I thought he was strung up. But, you know, I guess the story must carry on. I mean, it was a fake or some guy. But beside the point, uh, Michael Lane then uh, comes through and says that that the other members are going to be sending a special package to them. And so uh, Michael Lane goes, oh, really? And he goes, like, okay. So uh, they go, and uh, Azrael goes out, and Azrael is trying to find out about this white ghost. And, of course, as he goes, of course, it's kind of a judgment period. He sees one woman right there, and he tells Adrian, who... Who is this woman? Is there any women that have been missing? And he goes, then I see a uh, male on the other side. He's about late teens, black hair, and he's Middle Eastern, maybe around 16. And then it pans out, and then you see how they're being strung up, and there's a candle right behind them. And then they're trying to find out, and then he gets told that the ghost then tells him, like, you know, the, the wife is, like, 
the wife is married to a uh, a minister, and the young man was like a terrorist, like a young terrorist almost. And uh, as they go through, as they go fighting, you see the, the ghost full on in his attire, and you see Azrael, of course, with his, his suit of sorrow, and of course with his uh, swords drawn. And uh, he's really telling him, you know, which one are you going to choose? You know, uh, he goes, I am the white ghost and I serve the arbiter of the demon's hand. So you can kind of see right now that, you know, the white ghost is like the evil side in this part of this religion faction. And so um, he tells him, so what is it worth? You know, while they're fighting, people are up there being strung up and really almost hung really to, to just fall to their death. And he goes, you see the lady, and he's like, please help me. Adrian then finds the, the information out that what it seems may not always be the full detail of the scene. And it says, ran the names through the text. She's a saint who was caught cheating on her husband, who happens to be a minister. Siren government accused a kid of blowing up a car in DeMarcus. Two people were killed, but it might have been a frame. Not even an easy choice, right? So Azriel then looks down, and then you see the ghost, which is in a far-off building, but it looks like he's just talking to him, like it's right, like right there. And he goes, "There's little time left." He goes, "So he goes, I'm gonna go ahead and make the better choice." And then the white ghost says, "What?" You see Azriel leaning towards the kid rather than the woman. He goes, "If you let someone know it is innocent die, then how can you be worthy of serving in any higher cause?" He then goes through, and the white ghost just looks like his eyes are like flaming almost and then uh both of them the bowstrings fall and as the kid falling i guess michael sees a little bit of him of himself that was with uh earlier in the scene with uh with marion and so the scene falls and they're like oh my god well asriel goes through and lets the white ghost save the kid while he saves the wife and Azrael jumps down and he goes, pray your husband forgives you. And she runs off and the kid runs off. And uh, Azrael says, are we done here? And the white ghost is, goes, no, we're only beginning. And so um, it's a real cool uh, exchange between them. Tell your boss tonight that both of you failed my test. And so Azrael was the one kind of holding the test right there. And he goes, um, that's where kind of like where it leads off with Azrael. But then you see the the order then send a nice shipment and he's like adrian's ready there to pick it up and he goes patino he goes wow it must be really important why they sent you and then you see a briefcase with a special knife in it and so that's where it says n and it leaves, leaves it off with the question mark and that's the end of asriel issue two batman doc savage special it's a one shot and so uh, this is uh, Brian Azzarillo and uh, Phil Not Noto um, take on Batman. This take, I want to set it up be beforehand, but it, what it was was when you read the solicitations for this, it was Brian going back to that period in Detective Comics before Batman even started his comic book run. It was in Detective Comics where he was seen holding the guns. His cape was kind of split like uh, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, flying machine, uh, what he would call it. And so Brian kind of wanted to go back to that era in Detective Comics when Batman first appeared. 
And so it kind of leads off into like a almost Batman year one type. So I want to set this up for you right before I go into the review. So we see Batman going through, uh, it looks like a murder scene. And Batman goes through, and he's in spotted. Of course, he has the lights. And then uh, a loud scream comes through. You see gentlemen come in, and Batman pulls out his guns. And there were 45s back in Detective Comics. So he's have, he's carrying 45s right here. And so uh, he goes through. The gentlemen are shooting. And uh, the club is called Meows. And so Batman then lands, he's going through, and he's going through his, I guess, uh, thoughts, emotions within that, in those moments. And then he goes through, and he, <laughs> you can tell that uh, he's just running through uh, something that he's been talking to himself about. Uh, we then see Doc Savage. Doc Savage is, of course, a multi-millionaire with the company, uh, but he's known to be out there to be kind of like a hero type. You go through, and he's starting to see what's been going on in the paper, what's going on in Gotham. And then uh, you see uh, Bruce Wayne then reading the newspaper as Doc Savage was reading the same newspaper, same newspaper. And then as Bruce comes through, he's coming through, and he says, he goes, Alfred, you brought me a steak for breakfast? And he's like, no, for your eye. <laughs> and that was pretty funny. But uh, Doc Savage is then put into the, the new paper for the day, and it's the Gotham Gazette, and it says Doc Savage vows to save Gotham from catastrophe. <laughs> and Bruce is like, what the? <laughs> and then uh, Bruce is just right there, and it says Vicky Vale is reporting uh, about Doc Savage coming to town, and then we see a bar scene where it has Commissioner Gordon really going up against who Batman really is, but standing on the side of... Uh, of Doc Savage since he's a guy that really goes out there and he goes Batman could just be like on the on the same payroll that we are you know trying to trying to be uh, not going out there and really doing what Doc Savage is doing and so uh, you then see like you know that maybe some people are kind of like sticking up for Batman which is ironic because you would figure that Jim Gordon would be the one on Batman's side but uh, you then lead off into the party you see Bruce and everybody's like whoa Bruce is hitting the He's hitting the, the bar a little hard, and uh, he's going through, and then you see Doc Savage show up, show up, and Doc Savage is a much older gentleman compared to Bruce, but uh, he's very uh, hero-estic, I guess you kind of say, where, where his stance is just like, he's just a force to be reckoned with, but he does it in a gentleman, gentleman way, it looks like, and so... Uh, Doc Savage and then Bruce uh, start talking and they get into a little altercation <laughs> and they start bat bantering each other back and forth and Bruce takes a weapon to him and Doc Savage just like blows it off and Bruce doesn't really put, you know really he's just playing it off like their little confrontations between each other. What it then says it says uh, Commissioner Gordon is like right there at the party and he's like oh you you. Uh, well, uh, then you see the gentleman that's right there, and it says you have to excuse our, our bruise doc. Apparently, he's been having too much to drink. And Doc Savage is like, really? I didn't smell alcohol on his breath. And Bruce is, like, walking away, and he kind of has, like, a smile on his face. And then pans out to uh, Bruce then doing some investigating and going through Doc Savage's place, and he finds uh, some information. It looks like almost like a cassette on a small disc. And then it says, uh, instinct, he goes, I got a duck. And then it says, it shows a guy right there. And Doc Savage starts coming into the room, and it has Vicky Vell because he's in a 
he's going to conduct an interview with Vicky Vell. Then it shows Batman just really fighting, I guess, the guy that was in Doc Savage's room, which I guess he has, like, a bodyguard there. And so Batman and him confront, and he holds Vicky Vell, and he's, like, trying to throw off Doc Savage, really, about what's the purpose of Batman really being there. And he kind of holds Vicky Vell in a kind of, you know, <laughs> caring way, I guess. And uh, it's really all a distraction for uh, for Batman to get out so that Doc Savage can see that Vicky, Vicky Vell is safe. So Batman, you kind of see, like, he's kind of green-eared. He's like, oh, you know, he's kind of fast, you know. He goes, I was, I was just lucky to get out of there. And then, bam, Doc Savage landed right on top of Batman while he's already, like, out in the, looks like he was swinging through the city. Doc Savage then comes up. They go through a window, and Batman and him in exchange, and then Batman pulls out his guns, put a, puts them towards Doc's temples, and he's like, I'm holding your pressure point in your hand. I will stop you before you even pull the trigger. And so Batman kind of like gives up the gun just to take a swipe at him to throw him off so he can escape. Batman then takes escape, and then uh, Doc Savage is led to believe that, you know, this Batman didn't really want to hurt him in any way, just wanted to get away. Uh, Doc Savage then returns to the scene of the crime where the mob boss had got a kind of scene, which is the, the murder investigation that Bruce was, well, Batman was doing in, in the in the first scene. And then Doc Savage is starting to see, like, kind of like rats come out, where he was like, aren't you part of the mob, where there was this Patrick uh, Dugan, and, and he was like, no, he was always just a partner. So, you know, he holds Doc Savage from getting really in a conversation with this guy. And so he's looking at through the bull, bullet holes. He looks through the wall, and then he goes back and sees the the boss that was murdered. Looks through the same hole, and then Doc Savage goes out and he says uh, Batman wasn't the killer because people had assumed that Batman was a killer since the, the lady that had spotted him and the gentleman that had spotted him thought that he had killed this mob boss. Doc Savage goes out and clears Batman's name and says it wasn't Batman because Batman carries forty fives. The gentleman that that was killed was killed with the thirty eight caliber round. And uh, they were like, "Are you sure?" And Doc Savage is like, "I'm a doctor," <laughs> so which is kind of funny. And then uh, he's really calling out Batman. He comes out, and then it was kind of funny because Doc Savage comes out in a in a old helicopter, puts the spotlight down at Batman, and kind of makes the bat symbol kind of like behind Batman, where he's standing on a rooftop because he called him out to meet with him. And he's like, he's like, join me, you know, you know, uh, you know, become my friend. And he goes, you, and Batman's like, you really have no idea how Gotham works and how corrupt it is. He goes, I hang up here at the top to see down on them. And uh, that's how he wants to go about protecting Gotham City. And he's really telling Doc Savage, you have no idea how corrupt it is. Talking about their fathers and how Doc Savage didn't attend his father's funeral because he was do out there doing what his dad had taught him, which be was become a hero and what he has been taught. And um, Bruce is like, "How about your father?" And he goes, "He liked he liked movies," and uh, that's kind of like where Batman Bruce had just kind of like had left it off. And then Doc's assistant says, "Doc, it's rainy," and then Doc goes off to the side. And he goes, Doward's, Doward's murderer has been found. Dead, right? <laughs> and then Doc Savage is looking at Batman and he goes, they got to him before we could leave Gotham to me. You save the world. And that's where it ends. And uh, kind of like telling Doc Savage that, you know, Batman's got this. And it's really like 
Bruce just being Batman with for only like a month right now. So uh, that's where it ends, and this is the first wave for uh, these one-shots. And that's the end of Batman Doc Savage special. Alright, so that is all the comics for this time around. Let's get into our review wrap-up. We're going to start off with Batman and Robin. Now, you know, someone said it best, and I think it was somebody on the podcast, or on the editorial page on the website when they reviewed Batman and Robin 6, how Phil Tan, he's not getting a ton of credit for his art because he's nowhere near as good as Frank Quietly, and even though we haven't even seen Cameron Stewart's art, he's nowhere near as good as Cameron Stewart, so they're just giving him very, very little recognition for his art. Honestly, I don't like his art at all. And I'm not a huge fan of Frank Quietly either, but I really find it super annoying how some of these characters that he's drawing look so disproportioned. Uh, I don't really need... I don't really think Flamingo needs to have shoulders that look like he has a board across his back because they're so extremely straight and his waist is the size that my hands could fit around. I just, I don't think that's necessary. Uh, the writing in this issue, it really just seemed like this was a filler issue and it was an issue that was meant to end the story arc and was almost like Grant Morrison saw what Philip Tan was doing and gave him just enough to get the issue over with. I think Oberyn's, Oberyn Sexton, a.k.a. the Gravedigger, will have a bigger role in this upcoming series, um, either the upcoming story arc or the story arc sometime in the future. But I have a feeling he's going to play a bigger role, just as uh, the Flamingo played a bigger role in this story arc. Overall, I'm going to give this one 3 out of 5 batterings. And now to the next issue of Batgirl and... This is going to sound so repetitive, but I really am enjoying this series. And I enjoyed that in the midst of all these multi-part 3 of 6 and Blackest Night crossover, this issue was basically just, you know, a day in the life of the characters of this book. And it just showed the strength of the supporting cast, because we got the Barbara, Leslie, Wendy stuff. We got Detective Nick and Jim Gordon. And what I loved about what they're doing with Detective Nick is that they actually had him doing some detective work. I did think about it, though. It does kind of remind me of those old Batgirl backup stories in Detective Comics where she was dating a detective named Jason Bard, and, you know, you got to see him do his detective work alongside whatever Batgirl was doing, so it was a little reminiscent of that, and I'm not sure where they're going with this whole, well, I'm sure Batman's legal argument here. Are we going to have Stephanie, now that Tim's out of town, develop a relationship with this much older man detective? Who knows, but... I liked the humor in this issue, you know, the thing with her and Livewire, and then both discovering the suit was insulated, the comment about the iPhone jack and Wendy Saul, oh, I'm sure that there's no such thing as a superhero in a wheelchair, and Barbara getting insulted by that, but being like, okay, she's just angry. I'm, I'm liking this book, and I'm really sorry for the people who really hate it because of who's behind the mask, but, I mean, I'm going to have to give this one 5 out of 5. I'm enjoying this. This is like old-school comics. Uh, this was a fun issue, and just it's one of my favorite of the new Batman titles out there, if not my favorite right now. 5 out of 5 batterings. Okay, so moving on to Batman 693. Tony Daniel wrote and did the art. i got to say there were some pages that were much better than others. There were some pages that just seems like those pages specifically were rushed. His writing style is 
unique in a way where I guess the best way to put it is you can get lost. During Battle for the Cowl, there was parts of that story and of that series that you read what was he wrote and you really had to think about what he was trying to get across. The last couple pages of the issues, I have no idea what happened. There was an explosion and then suddenly 10 minutes later the Riddler's outside, his suit's all torn up, he's not even in the Riddler outfit, he's got this weird, weird grin on his face and he's saying, I'm back, I'm back. And I thought the whole point of this issue was we were going to find out who Black Mask was. If it's the Riddler, I'm going to be pissed because that's really stupid. Just That's just me saying that. And I might be completely wrong and we might somebody out there might have already figured out what the heck's going on. And I give you props because you, you are obviously smarter than myself. But I can't figure out what the heck's going on at the end of the issue. I don't understand who this Katrina is. And part of the biggest problem with uh, Tony Daniel is that he tries to incorporate so many characters that you're only getting these little itty bitty bits of pieces that actually give you some kind of explanation of what's going on in the story itself. So you have this Katrina who we saw at the Falcone house before. Who's she working with? We don't know. We know that she knows the Falcones because of the last issue, but we have no idea who she is, why she has Catwoman's hat. Is this Catwoman's daughter? Who the frick knows? This is just really confusing to me. So, for overall, I mean, it wasn't a bad story, it's just I got lost, so I'm going to give it 3 out of 5. Alright, and now Red Robin... You know, I'm getting whiplash from all these flash-forwards and flashbacks and back-and-forths, and for a one-page scene, we get, like, half of a scene, then it flashes back, you know, just tell the story cohesively. Um, I know that this point of this story arc is supposed to be, you know, Tim, he's doing stuff that he wouldn't do, he's crossing gray areas, but really, Tim Drake or Tim Wayne is going to order hits on people just so he can stop the hits and, you know, lure out the Spider Council... I, I have a bit of a problem with that. I think that it's a little too ambiguous for Tim. I don't know. I guess that's what the story's trying to do. I did like that they tried to reconcile, you know, uh, when Blackest Night, Batman took place in all this while Tim's traveling, and, the, and why he didn't tell Dick about the painting on the cave wall. So, you know, Chris Jost is trying. And I'm enjoying some of the dialogue here, but sometimes the plot just gets a little too complicated with all this League of Us... You know, first Tim has a problem because the guy has the League of Assassins, you know, targeting the guy's family in case he screws up. But then, you know, he does, you know, and he, he's too good for that. But then he orders the hits, you know. Come on, let's get some consistency here. But it doesn't totally suck, so I'm going to say two and a half out of five batterings. All right, Batman Streets of Gotham. Overall, I think it was a great story, and you could tell it was Chris Yost writing it because we had flashbacks back and forth. I don't know what this guy's obsession with flashbacks are. I gotta say, though, it wasn't nearly as bad in Streets of Gotham as it has been in Red Robin, but nonetheless it happened, but it made more sense the way it happened, so props to him for making his crazy flashbacks work in this issue. I thought the story was great. I thought it was awesome that there was kind of a twist where we find out why Man Bat was flying all over, attacking people and stuff like that, even though he really wasn't attacking people. I thought the priest was a perfect supporting character in the very end, where he ends up taking out the guy in the invisible suit, and the entire time that's what he was trying to do. I thought that was awesome. Uh, so for that one, I'm going to give it 4 out of 5 batterings. The Manhunter co-feature... I'm interested to see what's going to happen with this Dylan character. This Dylan character, I'm wondering, I really don't think that this is the same character that 
Kate Spencer was at the pool with in L.A. the last issue, but I don't understand how they know each other at all. I'm really trying hard to figure out exactly how they know each other. If Dylan is in fact this guy who creates different devices, is he the same guy who created her power staff? I guess we'll find out. But one thing that I'd really like to point out is what in the world happened to the guy who used to work with Two-Face while Judd Winnick was writing the story with Two-Face? The henchman who set up the cameras to take pictures and stuff like that. What happened to that guy? Where did this guy, Dylan, just come out from nowhere? I don't get it, but, you know, I digress, as Josh always says. So, I'm interested to see where this is going, and I find it interesting that Dick Grayson is suddenly the the biggest pimp in uh, Gotham City right now. So, I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. Outsiders. Uh... I'd like to see Alfred more, as I was saying, because he's just taken so much of a backseat in what was going to be his team. You know, I, I like this some of the little stuff, like the humor about Halo and the, all the bugs hitting her. I liked the This Is Your Life montage of Tara. The art was really good there, and you were really able to get inside of her head, even though she's a zombie, and even though Geoforce was in a part of the flashback that he shouldn't have been on. I think that the whole thing of Geoforce getting protective over Terra and thinking that she's not evil like everyone says she is has been played out. But this was this was an okay issue. The art is still good. I'm not happy about this Blackest Night crossover. I think it could have been done better. At this point, you know, all of the Blackest Night crossovers are the same thing, you know? A member of the person's family or whatever, and they have to realize that it's not really them, it's a zombie, and then they fight them even though it hurts them to do so. I've seen that about three or four times now. Let's get something new. So I'm going to say three and a half out of five batterings. Now let's throw it over to a special correspondent and hear what his review wrap-up is. Uh, Batman Confidential, issue 37. I kind of like this storyline. I, I like these old storylines, bringing back some of the old characters uh, from the early days of DC Comics. Uh, the Blackhawks is just one. Anytime you can see them, they're really just cool to watch. Uh, so um, I'm kind of liking the storyline, but I don't think that a lot of people are going to really fully invest in it. Um, I'm still trying to figure out, like, okay, I understand what the first issue was about. I understand what they're going through with this issue right now. And pretty much... I'm liking I'm liking the story. So me personally, I'm liking it, but I have to judge it as I guess a person that just has to say really that what they feel about it. So I'm liking it. I'm gonna go ahead and give it three batarangs out of five. Um, the artwork is not consistent. I will say that, but I'm really interested in the story just because of the the old value it has to it. Uh, Batman Unseen issue four. Oh god, guy, it, it was crap, guys. Not even Black Mask even looked good in this magazine. Uh, it was, it, it was just. I I don't know why the last three issues could have been done in one issue, really. And I I don't know why they're they're doing this. Um, Kelly Jones is even. I know his black mask has been looking great in that last issue. Uh, this issue, none of his artwork looked great. It was it was just auto. I guys, I can't even give this a battering. It's not. It's nothing was good about this book. And honestly, I'm just waiting for issue five. So when it comes in, it can just be over. 
Superman Batman issue 66 with the uh, Blackest Night tie-in with Man Bat, Solomon Grundy, and Bizarro. Speaking of crap, I don't even. I think this is the first time at the Batman universe we can say this, but we are not going to give this even a battering. Also, I have loved the Blackest Night series. I'm reading the Blackest Night series, and I, I I don't know why they did this. Why they even slapped the Blackest Night tie-in because of Solomon Grundy being a Black Lantern? It, it was. It was just crap, guys. I, I can't believe I even paid for this three dollars. Oh my god, it, it, that would avoid this. Avoid Superman Batman issue sixty six. Uh, Azrael number two. Um, the story's okay. I like the artwork. It's a. It's a. It, the artwork takes me back to uh, early comics. Uh, someone just getting into comics. So uh, I. I do like that. It's not for everyone though. I will say that uh, the storyline's okay. Uh, I just have trouble seeing that Azrael's gonna make it a hundred issues like Gene Paul's Azrael did. Um, I I don't think it might. So uh, this issue, I'm gonna go ahead and only give it two batterings out of five because um, the story's okay, but not enough to for for me to tell you to go out and buy it or read it. Uh, Batman Doc Savage special. Now, I want to set you up for this, guys. Uh, when I read comics, I listen to music. So I'll listen to some of my favorite bands. Uh, I'll listen to Tool, Pearl Jam, Rihanna, Don't Judge Me. Uh, and it was a real good mood that I can have music flowing to a great story. Uh, Brian Azzarillo within the story did an awesome job. Uh, Phil Noddle, he captured the era perfect for what Brian Azzarillo is going for. And although the art might not be for a lot of people, I thought it was great. I, I just thought it was wonderful. Um, however, something tells me that I can't give this five batterings, even though I completely loved it, but I have to just judge it that this might not be for everyone. The Doc Savage part might not be for everyone. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it four batterings out of five because for 48 pages, guys, and for five bucks, you can't beat that. That This is a good story. This was a good story. It even gives you a preview about the first wave with the spirit at the end. Uh, and the other characters that are coming out. So, I mean, for five bucks, if you want something that you could just take down into your room, uh, you know, the kids are away or you just got off of school and you want something really cool to read, go pick up Batman Doc Savage Special One, and I guarantee you, you will like it. Okay? All right, so that's his books. Let's go over some of the reviews that were done on the website. For Batgirl number four, Zayas gave it four out of five Batarangs, and he's a new comic book reviewer, so we'd like to welcome him to the site. Z Factor gave Batman Doc Savage special five out of five Batarangs, while Dark Knight Dave gave it four out of five Batarangs. Uh, Batman 693 was reviewed by Steve J. Rogers, who also is reviewing a comic for the very first time, and he gave it four out of five Batarangs. Batman and Robin number six, Tigger Brown gave three out of five batterings, while Z Factor gave it five out of five batterings. Superman Batman number sixty six, Z Factor gave zero out of five batterings. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and 
Batman Unseen number four, he gave one out of five batterings. And that is all the reviews we have on the website. If you are interested in reviewing comics for the website, just shoot us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. We'll be happy to get you on board. So let's jump right into Bat Books for Beginners because we are running longer than I expected, so we're not going to have a discussion. So let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Bat beginners, bat experts, and all those bat fans in between. Welcome to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host, Nick, and today I'm looking at Tales of the Demon, published in 1991, which features 11 stories of Raz or Raish al Ghul through Batman's history, all written by Dennis O'Neill, with art provided by many different artists. And this covers a period of comics from 1971 through to 1980. This is a classic Raish at its best, and it covers his first encounters with Batman, as well as, of course, including his lovely daughter, Talia. So, let's get into it. So, they know your identity, Detective. Who are you? How did you get in here? You must forgive Ubu, Detective. He is well-trained. Allow me to introduce myself... I am he who is called Raish al Ghul. The demon's head. I thought you were only a legend. I am quite real. Now, I felt my last few editions of BBFB have been a little bit long in the plot side, so I thought I'd trim that down a bit and just give you the brief overview of each little story in this book. The first story is called Into the Den of the Death Dealers, and, and Batman is led to an Asian country after a mysterious assassination. And whilst there he meets a kidnapped Talia for the first time, and they work together to defeat Dr. Dark. This is followed by a daughter of the demon, which involves Robin being kidnapped. And Ra's al Ghul turns up in the Batcave, and he meets Batman for the first time. He states that his daughter Talia has been taken as well. They embark on a journey across Asia to find their wards, but more sinister plots are revealed, as it seems Raish set the whole thing up to test the Batman. Swamp Sinister opens with Raish contacting the Batman to inform him of a rogue employee who has stolen a valuable substance which he doesn't realise could cause the end of the world. It's a race against time for Batman to find Talia and the substance before the plague goes airborne. Vengeance for a dead man. This involves a man being found dead, but the mysterious thing is that his brain is missing. Batman heads on a wild chase that leads to Talia and Raish, who stole the man's brain, kept it alive, and used it to gain valuable information. Rest in Peace is the following story, and it opens with Bruce Wayne reportedly dead, but he is of course in fact not. And through this story we see many disguises and tricks that Bruce Wayne has up his sleeves involving the persona Matches Malone. Batman also enlists the aid of a top scientist to defeat Ra's al Ghul. This story continues into The Lazarus Pit, which involves the continuation of the story with Matches Malone, the scientist, and a betrayed assassin travelling to the Alps to stop Ra's once and for all. Once they arrive at the Alps' mountaintop base, they find the dead body of Ra's. As they leave, feeling their job is done, the corpse is dropped into the Lazarus pit, and Raish has returned. The conclusion of this story is in The Demon Lives Again, 
and this story starts with Raish awakening in a rage and attacking the group on their way down the mountain. He bests Batman in a fight with his superior strength, which he gains after his resurrection, and severely injures the rest of the team before he escapes. Batman pursues him to a desert hideaway and has a sword fight with him. Batman is stung by a scorpion during the fight and left by Raish to wander the desert. But of course, Batman manages to find Raish again and takes Raish home to the authorities, but leaves Talia with her freedom. We then get I now pronounce you Batman and Wife, which briefly covers uh, the story that lives up to its title by having Raish himself marry Talia to the Caped Crusader. The Vengeance Vow, another story, this dispatches a long-term Batman character for good and pits Batman against the Sensei, leader of the League of Assassins, and his unwitting minion, the Bronze Tiger. The Bronze Tiger proves an especially formidable foe for Batman in a martial arts contest. We then get Where Strikes the Assassins, which realigns the Bronze Tiger as an ally to Batman. Our hero races to protect the geologist from the sensei. And then finally, in Requiem for a Martyr, Batman once more tangles with both the League of Assassins and Ra's al Ghul. This bizarre threat involves an earthquake and a summit of the world's religious leaders. So... How long have you known, detective, that I planned your ward's capture? Almost from the beginning. How could you have known that Robin and your daughter were abducted on the same night? Unless I had done the abducting. Exactly. So in review, I felt that in this story, we really get to see Batman's detective skills in full force and some of his ingenuity. Since the stories are all written by Dennis O'Neill, some patterns do emerge. Firstly, O'Neill knows the character of Batman well, representing him as a great detective, a master of disguise, and the world's greatest martial artist. This is clearly what he visions as Batman, and it's a very classic sort of image, and it works very well in these stories. The 70s dialogue is quite obvious throughout the book. With Batman explaining everything, it makes it a bit corny, with melodramatic narration from a mysterious narrator, and insistent exposition told to us through thought balloons. I also felt that some stories were quite cut off, like Daughter of the Demon felt like we got about halfway through the story and we didn't get a conclusion. I would have preferred to have had the next issue or a continued story rather than some of the weaker issues we had towards the end of the book. I also noticed that Talia seems to kiss Batman in nearly every story she turns up in. The first half of the book and the older stories from the early 70s were my favourites and I think a few stories towards the end were lacking the depth and intrigue that the book opened with. The art, especially when Neil Adams was doing it, was excellent. If you've never seen any of Neil Adams' work and you're wondering why after almost four decades he's still thought of as the Batman artist, pick up Tales of the Demon and you'll realise why. It's fantastic. Plus I really like the blue caped version of Batman in these stories as well as the exotic settings up mountains and in Asian towns and jungles. They're really expressed well by Adams. The art quality is generally consistent, but Adams comes out on top over the other artists. We get to learn a lot about Raish in these few issues, especially the earlier ones. Like many power-hungry men, Raish believes wholeheartedly that his plans are for the ultimate benefit of humanity. His methods, though, are decidedly slippery and deceptive. He's nearly always a step ahead of Batman, and frequently plays the Dark Knight, making him one of his greatest villains. At the book's end, O'Neill provides a friendly afterword commenting on his own bygone style and how the stories effectively add up to a graphic novel. 
despite their episodic monthly origins. And I thought this was interesting as it struck a chord with me after the um, 70s style dialogue and narration. And I liked the fact that O'Neill felt this was more of a graphic novel in the way that you could learn a lot about Raish through, through these stories. In conclusion, the collection isn't the best of Raish al Ghul. It's essentially all the stories from Raish's first decade in existence. To be fair, not all of the stories in this collection are compelling. However, as a whole, they paint the quintessential portrait of Raish al Ghul. Tales of the Demon is a great book to get if you want to understand Raish, Talia and Batman's relationship and their never-ending conflict with each other, and learn about how one of the greatest villains was born into Batman's stories. I'll be giving it four out of five Batarangs. I've had it with your little games. No game, I swear it. Pulse is bad. He can't fake that. We must take him to the Lazarus Pit. You want us to put him in that? You're crazy! No, listen to me. I know it is difficult to believe, but the pit is what keeps him alive, what has kept him alive for 600 years. Batman? Please, you must believe me! As an extra side note, fans of the animated series will notice similarities between certain episodes and some of these Ra's al Ghul stories. The stories, specifically Into the Den of the Death Dwellers, introduces Talia in the same way Off Balance, an episode from the animated series, does with Batman's mask missing, and it introduces Talia as she discovers the identity of Batman. And this clip proves that. Filthy creature. I've been called worse. What happened to my mask? What have you done with it? Easier to clean your wounds this way. Then you know. You know that I'm... Hush. Who knows what other ears may be listening. Just who are you? What are you doing here? My name is Talia. Once Talia was introduced through the episode Off Balance, it set up the spectacular Demon's Quest two-parter episode that is based on the original comic story Daughter of the Demon. This episode was written by the very same Dennis O'Neill, working on the media adaptation of his story. The episode turned out to be slightly different to the comic book storyline, but maintained the essence of it, and it still turned out wonderful all the same. And in my opinion, it's one of the best animated series episodes they ever did, and it aired in 1993. Well? Are you man enough to face your better? If you insist. That's me done for this time. Get on the forums, guys. There's not enough of you on there. I'll be putting a new reading list up there soon so you can get ahead of the game and keep up with Bat Books for Beginners. And please give me your opinions on this segment or a particular book. Anything would be great. We need a bit more interaction on there. Now, next time I'll be looking at Batgirl Year One as we look at Barbara Gordon joining the Bat family. We see her action-packed origin from the nine-issue miniseries that uncovered Gordon's transformation from average citizen into costumed superheroine. 
Until then, keep reading. So it's finally over? We've seen the last of Ra's al Ghul? Looks that way. So that was Bat Books for Beginners. Let's get into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. You wanted me. Here I am. Alright, so December 2nd, we have Batman Confidential number 38. As we mentioned earlier, Batman the Cat and the Bat. And Batman the Unseen number 5. On December 9th, we have Batgirl number 5, Batman Arkham Asylum special, Batman the Cult new printing, and Red Robin number 7. So, that means next time on the podcast, we will be covering Arkham Reborn number 2, Detective Comics number 859, Gotham City Sirens number 6, World's Finest number 2, Batman Confidential number 38, Batman the Unseen number 5. So, a very, very short list of comics that's only a total of 6 comics. So, that will probably be a shorter episode, so you can expect a discussion. Since we haven't had one in quite some time we'll figure something to talk about or if you want us to talk about something send us an email at podcast at the batmanuniverse.net and we'll be sure to take it in consideration at for our discussion for the next episode so i think that's going to be everything for this episode uh, i want to remind everybody to head over to project fanboy and vote for us when you're listening to this there actually should be a link on the website on every single page that has an advertisement in the same exact spot that we had the link to get to the page for the San Diego Comic-Con coverage, there should be a link directly to take you to the information of where you need to go for Project Fanboy. So go ahead, click on that, find out all the details, and go vote for us. We'd appreciate it greatly. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. You can email us, podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Join the forums, leave comments, check out the editorials for all kinds of comic reviews and other comic-related things every single day, as well as check out the new the website for daily comic news. We are still looking for podcast hosts, so if anybody's out there who'd like to either be a co-host for the podcast or be a editor for the podcast, please email us and let us know. Any help is greatly appreciated. So, that's everything. This is Dustin. It's Apple. And this is Josh from the U.S. of A. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 32. We'll see you guys next time. Take care. It's saying oh, okay now it is okay first it what the thing was on red and saying my speaking of characters were a bit away from their core con conceits Conceit. speaking of characters were a bit away from their four con- wow now we'll edit this part out but you know my god I am so tired of giving a to you know the. <laughs>
oh, DC, make this a regular continuity. Even though the first issue hasn't come out yet, all I know is that there's no other superheroes in this world. It should be a regular continuity because that's what the movies are like. There's no other superheroes in the Batman movies. And I want my comics to be just like the movies. This is my Batman. This is my Batman. It's realistic. This is my Batman. Make it a regular continuity. I love you. <laughs> what you should do is, for the blooper reel, you should plug everything but the part where you say... <laughs> should I... And then people will be like, what in the hell is he talking about? I think at some point we might actually review that miniseries when we have some week that doesn't have a lot of comics because that was an interesting story. I zoned out. What miniseries was it? The Colt. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was.